of Mike, Mike, and Oscar. I am your co-host, Mike One, co-host also, Mike on the line. Hey, we're back on Apple Podcasts. <laughs> we're back, and our fans are listening to all our episodes. Again, uh, we appreciate the uh, swath of listens, and yes. it, it, it's a huge boost to our egos. It's a necessary one because we were feeling bad for a mm-hmm. week there. But mm-hmm. SoundCloud, thank you. Apple Podcasts, thank you. And uh, thank you to all our listeners who are going back and listening to the Venice episode, to the Barbarian episode, and certainly to the Emmys Venice winners episode. That was fun, too. But you heard the intro music. The news does not stop. This is another ORC, an Oscar race checkpoint. We're going around. I mean, as long as these festivals are happening, we're going to cover them from East Hollywood over here in Connecticut. So uh, we talked about Venice. We kind of put a bow on that last episode, like Mike just kind of alluded to. And now we're going to talk and dive into TIFF and the debuts and fallouts and reviewing the reviewers uh, that have come and put their mark on the early first takes of some of these first looks of these movies. Yeah, as we've learned in the past, whatever is said by film critics coming out of these festivals is gospel. Right. It is There's canon. never never any changing whatsoever. It's true. Nev- you know, basically I've ranked these movies on the length of their standing ovations. <laughs> and this is proper and just. Yes. So we're going to continue to follow that formula and it Status is very mathematical. Status quo will prevail. Yes. Yeah, yes. that's how you rank these. That's how mm. they've always done it the pundits <laughs> just the cats out of the bag now. No, no. This is this is fun because this is a slate of 16 films that we're going to touch on today coming out of the Toronto International Film Festival that we have not touched on yet in terms of their first receptions. Yes, like movies like All the Beauty and the Bloodshed, The Whale, The Banshees of Inisherin, Women Talking, we have dived, we, we've dove, dived, dived, right? Yeah, we've it's dived, dive. we've dove in. We've yeah. dove in into them before in, in previous episodes. We so are we're not doves. Gonna- we're not going to talk about them necessarily more today, but we got 16 different films that are potential oscar contenders or at least they were in some cases and uh we'll we'll talk about two other huge trailers we're going to push more trailers to the next oscar race checkpoint but two big trailers today uh well more than two because we have the fablemans etc but uh i want to dance with somebody and babylon and then yeah a little thing happened called the d23 expo that we think we'll finish the show with so yeah a lot to do michael yeah, a lot to do, a lot to get into. Let's dive right into it, and we'll start with The Fablemans, which was, I mean, maybe, arguably one of the biggest two-yet-to-be-seen movies and contenders on the uh, the agenda here. They finally had their premiere at TIFF. A lot of reports about Steven Spielberg being very nervous backstage right before the debut because this is such a personal project to him, but obviously this is Steven Spielberg's quasi-biopic from Universal, Michelle Williams, Paul Dano, Seth Rogen, Judd Hirsch. Two hours and 31 minutes. It will come to us on November 23rd in theaters. It's got a early 97% on 37 reviews on Rotten Tomatoes and 83 Metascore. He's got to be happy that West Side Story didn't actually win anything huge, you know, as far as director or picture last year, right? 
I, I wonder if that's a blessing in disguise, that that's mm. very, very true and, and very typical of Oscar voters. Yeah, I mean, it, it could make a difference. Uh, let's, uh, let's look at a few of these reviews. Uh, Tom Charity of the Times UK, he says, The Fablemans feels like a marathon session on the therapist couch, but that's not really a criticism. The movie is rich in barbed Jewish humor, eccentricity, and prodigious teenage wheeler dealing. Uh, we have uh, Ruben Barron of Looper saying the 2.5-hour runtime of The Fablemans flies by and the film stays artistically engaging throughout. And then we have Ty Burr of Ty Burr's Watchlist saying, as always with Spielberg, The Fablemans is an easy, pleasurable watch, the master of classical movie narrative spinning his tales with a verve that's the cinematic equivalent of comfort food. So... Very positive reviews, like you said, 97% high meta score. The Fablemans debuted a trailer, and it's got everybody thinking Oscars, Michael. Yeah, and it's a very Oscar-y. I mean, it's a Steven Spielberg trailer. It looks great. He, he makes a toy train look like the most cinematic thing ever. <laughs> the first thought I had in watching this trailer was, I mean, we get Seth Rogen with the slick back hair. I'm, just, I'm, I'm happy Seth Rogen has gotten to the point in his career where he can just like cut his hair or grow a beard, and that's considered him doing character acting. Uh, that's it's, that's fun for all of us. This has been decades, centuries, really, <laughs> of play character acting playbooks. Yeah, uh, just again with another with another face and another beard. I mean, Get Seth the Rogen. barber. Yeah, don't change your voice. Don't ever change your voice. <laughs> Why did I think Seth Rogen was the father in this movie? Which I think I've said in previous Oscars checkpoints. Paul Dano is playing Mr. Spielberg. I excuse believe, me, air yeah. quotes, fable man. Right, and do you think he like? Well, if I spell it Fablemans, that's two on the nose. Let's change the E and the L in Fable. That'll get people off the scent. Story guy. The, score, <laughs> the story guy's family. Come like on, how I'm here we taking doing? pot shots at fucking Steven Spielberg's biopic that he's worked all his life up to make. Okay. Yeah. Yes. Uh, I, I mean, it looks... I'm taking pot shots because it looks wonderful. Like, there's nothing... I'm excited for it. I want to see it. I, I just... From all accounts, Michelle Williams is that good. From all accounts, this is that personal, personal of a tale. I, it's kind of cool that we're seem to be headed towards this maybe head-to-head matchup where we have a love letter to movie making and motherhood it would seem like versus a love letter to early hollywood and babylon for the uh, oscars race here if by love letters you mean hunter s thompson fever dreams then i, do. I would say that's exactly that's those are my love letters <laughs> i would say absolutely <laughs> correct uh we'll get there I, I do think that uh, the fablemans is going to hit all of these cinematic nostalgic uh oh, you know yeah. I, this Sensors. is like this is the, the peak, like early '90s Spielberg stuff. Well, the movie, the the trailer starts with the quote: "Movies are dreams that you'll never forget." That's a beautiful quote mm-hmm. from from Michelle Williams. And then at the end, she's asking her son driving home from the movie, which just gave me goosebumps all over. What was your favorite part? Yeah. I mean, what a joyous way to end the trailer. And then you have so many. You have so many lovely quotes about the mother uh, in this family. It's scientists versus artists. What she got in your heart, you got, said Judd Hirsch. Uh, and then, why'd you get a monkey, the, the, the son asked the mother. And she goes, because I needed a laugh. So she's a show folk, <laughs> show person. And, you know, the hammer uh, in, in this trailer is Seth Rogen saying, if you stop making movies, it'll break your mother's heart. So we just have this, this push and pull that's going to make Michelle Williams' role central to this film, mm-hmm. which bodes extremely well 
to you know for her Oscar chances. It was something we said about Brad Pitt's role, Sam Rockwell, Daniel Kaluuya in recent years with recent supporting actor winners. And I, I just was listening to the Vanity Fair Little Go Men podcast. They were saying they'd be shocked right now if Michelle Williams did not win this year. They're yeah, already I, proclaiming it. I'm yeah. getting ready to to shut down that category, especially if it is supporting and not lead. I mean, lead. I could at least you could at least have the conversation supporting. I don't even know who's in consideration right now and this movie doesn't even actually come out until like holiday season right it's it's early for the supporting categories to develop but she is certainly a new front runner in the acting categories here michelle williams so we'll have to keep our eye on her let's move on to the sun michael the sun we kind of dabbled in the reception uh, last or two episodes ago but we could dive into it more here. It is polarizing. This film, again, is co-written and directed by Florian Zeller, co-written by Christopher Hampton, Hampton, previous Oscar winners for The Father, starring Hugh Jackman, Laura Dern, Vanessa Kirby, and Anthony Hopkins. We've reviewed the trailer from Sony Pictures Classic. Michael, the reception is divisive, to say the least. 56% yeah. on 27 Rotten Tomato reviews. A 60 Metascore is probably more alarming for me. Yeah, a melodrama that thinks it's saying something important, but it's just yelling in your face, unwilling to do the character work to understand its subject beyond what it can do to provoke an audience with it. That's from Brian Tellerico of RogerEbert.com. Upsetting, but that's the point. Hugh Jackman has rarely been better. That's Chris Bumray of Joe Blow's Movie Network. And Steph Green here from BBC. It is a flawed film with a kind heart, but a significantly less impressive progeny. I've never, that's not a word that's ever been in my vocabulary, and I hate myself for it because I feel like it's something I would love. But anyway, an impressive progeny of the father's talky triumph. This, I mean, in the way that Michelle Williams was kind of lauded and expected to rise to the top of her category, and we're all just waiting for that movie to premiere to kind of put that in stone. Hugh Jackman was kind of considered a surefire nom, and then this movie hit, and it's it. I don't know that it people feel that way anymore. Hugh Jackman has he's given some awesome performances in films that have underperformed. He was the candidate, and what what was that movie called? The Front Runner. I mean, he was. This is <laughs> I, this is the the biggest parallel I can think of is that we've been here before. I think I even tweeted this last night. We've been here before. We've been in this territory before, like where Hugh Jackman is a no doubt nominee off the back of a movie that can't miss and is going to be worth all the hype. And then the movie comes out and it kind of like falls dead in critics eyes what and it was, immediately takes Hugh Jackman out of the race. What was the Darren Aronofsky film that he was, he was really good in that. Yeah. I, 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 uh, I kind of island. No, <laughs> no, not no, the it's, island. It's, it's, when I get confused with the island all the time, God damn it, keep going, I'll find it. <laughs> right there, huh? The God damn it, because I just, I just watched it. Oh, you're thinking of The Greatest Showman? No, The Greatest Showman was kind of hit hard. The Fountain. The Fountain. The Island, the the island fountain. and The Fountain. That's why, yeah, I always get those two confused. Now I get why you, you confuse them. But <laughs> I really love the score for The Fountain, by the way, but I think... Uh, I think I was in a very uh, philosophical stage of my student life mm-hmm. back when that was coming out. But anyway, I think uh, Darren Aronofsky's The Fountain definitely slammed by critics when, when it came out. And Hugh Jackman was definitely thought to be more in the mix than he was. This film is really disappointing, people. Does that hurt the Best Actor nomination? We, we've seen plenty of... You know, noms from movies that underperform with critics, especially. So I'm not going to box sure. them out there. But and if this is such a downer of a movie, on top of it being so polarizing, I mean, if you're going to have a depressing movie, you kind of got to hit a lot of things out of the park to have Oscar legs and 
the post-pandemic era anyway. <laughs> it's got to be an undeniable performance, but we also got to admit enough people have to see it. So if right. it's a total bummer, maybe they don't see it. I, I wonder if the cachet of this cast in the sun will allow or force a lot of people to see. I know Sony Pictures Classics, they are very good at campaigning these things, mm-hmm. especially late. We that don't have a release date for the sun, so I'm wondering when that will come out. I'm guessing they're going to sneak it in under the wire there. So if they're... If they're wise, hopefully they can build up some more goodwill by you know doing the festival circuit, but not a good start for the Sun at yeah. either Venice or TIFF. We'll you have to on. ask the question, mm-hmm. would this be better received if he was playing Jean Valjean in the Sun? Um, who's, uh, who's, who's Jean Valjean's father? Mr. Valjean? <laughs> Senior, yes. Yeah, good. Just just checking. I don't know. <laughs> the Woman King, Michael. The Woman King, directed by Gina Prince Bythewood. I just made a joke that my uncles made for years. I it hit. I don't know what to tell you. I laughed. It hit you because maybe your uncle didn't make that joke. Everybody's uncles made that joke for years, and I immediately knee jerked it. And I'm not proud of myself. Anyway, I'm, we, I'm proud of you. We have a great reception for the Woman King, which actually comes out this weekend that we want to see and we will review at some point. Directed by Gina Prince Bythewood, starring Viola Davis, Lashana Lynch, Tusa Mbedu, and John Boyega. This is from TriStar and Sony as well. Two hours, 15 minutes. 93%, Michael, on 91 Rotten Tomato reviews. A solid meta score of 76 for The Woman King. The kinetic action adventure The Woman King is a sweeping entertainment, but it's also a story of unwavering resistance in front of and behind the camera. Manola Dargis from the New York Times saying that this from discussing film, The Woman King is an excellently crafted historical epic brought together by powerful performances, dynamic directing, and beautiful cinematography. And then uh, we have the projection for The Woman King. Could make 15 to 18 upon its opening. This The Woman King, in the way that The Front Runner, or at least The Sun, reminds me of The Front Runner, the Woman King kind of reminds me of when the first Knives Out hit, when it was like everybody loved it. They had such a fun time in theaters. This is a great movie. Got high critic scores. Going to be a decent box office. And I'm sitting here like, okay, so nominate it. Yeah, let's go. <laughs> uh, I can't wait to see it. Viola Davis uh, was always going to be in the mix in lead actress, whatever the movie did, because yeah. I think the physicality of that performance from the trailers and the transformation is going to be catnip to the Academy. Agreed. She's always... Uh, in the mix for this category, it seems, uh, every other year, or every year lately, right? Whenever I mean, she wants to take a project on. Yeah, so we shall see if The Woman King could really build some Oscar momentum in September of all of all times. It's happened before. We've seen Judy, you know, uh, sure. in September. We've seen plenty of September films build that momentum up. It does have the uh, red carpet now out with with Tiff so the woman king hitting the right notes that's 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 huge in terms of our september's uh i am a little surprised by this next film michael Me too. which which did not land because no. the notes that we discussed when we reviewed the trailer for the greatest beer run was that this looks like a best picture an old academy favorite yeah. type film yeah, and I wonder if it, for the, why, you know, what are the reasons that it didn't land? But we'll get into it. The greatest beer run ever, co-written and directed by Peter Farrelly, obviously, of the Oscar-winning Green Book. This is coming to Apple TV+. Plus. It stars Zac Efron, Bill Murray, and Russell Crowe, those three drinking buddies there. 38% on eight initial Rotten Tomato reviews, and it's been panned everywhere, on at least on the critics we follow on Twitter. 
Yeah, Charles Bromesco of The Guardian says uh, the greatest beer run ever commits itself to regurgitating every Vietnam cliche with the laziest possible visual diction, led by an emotionally overextended Zac Efron, and then, quote, the greatest beer run ever lumbers and meanders, and not just because the structure isn't there. What we're seeing on a human level is only half interesting and rather slipshod. Your pal and future roommate, Owen Gleiberman of Variety. Lip shod. Is that natural? <laughs> Typically of a person or method of work characterized by a lack of care, thought, or organization. Okay, that's a word. Slip shot. <laughs> now we know. The more you know. We have the greatest beer run ever basically falling out of the race in one single film festival. I mean, we could see we could see a rebirth. We could see, you know, it the finishing with like a sixty percent. You know, if enough people see this film and like it, that these these are just initial receptions, that is. But the greatest beer run ever wanted to make some noise at TIFF, where I think most of the Apple slate landed, right? And no, this is this is a very bad first run there for the greatest. It's very beer surprising, because fairly, uh, you know, when he does when he goes serious, it, it placates. It tries to. I, I mean, a nice way of saying it is trying to reach across the aisle. And you have Vietnam, which is politically polarizing of a war, and it, it leans more towards one side of the aisle, I would argue. And you would think that might be a match made in heaven for that type of combination. But uh, I haven't seen, you know, even people that I would consider to be more conservative-leaning critics liking this. Yeah, not not good for the greatest beer run ever. We'll move on to Glass Onion, a Knives Out mystery, and we're kind of going peaks and valleys here because Glass Onion was very well received. I saw a lot of great buzz for Janelle Monet being the star of this star-studded cast, including Daniel Craig, Leslie Odom Jr., Kate Hudson, Catherine Hahn, Ed Norton, Dave Bautista, and Jessica Henwick. Two hours and 19 minutes. Uh, written and directed by Ryan Johnson, of course, coming to Netflix on uh, December 23rd. I think late November it's hitting theaters. 86%, Michael, on 43 reviews, a a high meta score as well with 81 for Glass Onion and Knives Out Mystery. Yeah, Ryan Johnson is kind of just hitting on all cylinders. Uh, Glass Onion is a layered machine hiding a trove of interlocking rewards, immensely satisfying when the pieces reveal themselves, but even more so when it's all blown to bits. That's David Jong of Strange Harbors. Uh, Gail Sicaria says writer-director Ryan Johnson weaves an intricate, complicated tapestry, and once again, he ties up every last loose end with a satisfying flourish. So we're just going to get like 75 Detective Perot mysteries, right? These are going to continue. Uh, Netflix is, you know, they paid a bounty for the mm-hmm. for the next two, and they seem to have a critical and audience favorite on their hands. They're debuting it during their money time at Christmas uh, on the on the streamer. I wonder what that means for theatrical. This could be a big money earner if it if released, obviously wide. We, we never know with Netflix, and based on a lot of what they're doing with Blonde, and they're not moving that out, at least towards us, they're just kind of just putting it out at the Paris Theater, right, in New York, at least yeah. this week anyway, mm-hmm. so they're they're not really embracing theatrical yet, I wonder if that's just Netflix being Netflix and wanting to put things on Netflix. Why would but- they? I don't understand, you keep bringing this up, and I'm so baffled by when you do, like, you think Netflix is just going to turn into a regular movie studio? We've always wondered, 
if they'd go beyond just the Oscar uh, qualifications, right? Mm -hmm. The Oscar qualifying runs and actually embrace making money in theaters first. Like if they released Glass Onion wide, gave it a window, it would make $100 million and boom, you've you've made back at minimum $100 million. It's probably making $300 million, but a minimum of $100 million. And then you wonder if that's worth it to them to make that kind of money and, and cover more costs when they are basically slaves now to Wall Street's valuations. They have to be, right? They're making huge changes throughout their MO and you got to wonder if they're going to shift at some point to making money theatrically. I don't know. So by that logic, then you, does that mean you agree with Zaslav's approach to HBO max as just being a second run place for their movies? Well, HBO max is emphasizing being a first run for all of their TV series. And all of HBO's yep, stuff. Yeah, they're, they're, they're being, Plus stuff. I, I mean, as far as, as, as film goes, though, they don't, I mean, they clearly, they want to emphasize theatrical. They want that to be their first run. They, they're going to put things in theaters. And then when the time comes after they're done licensing, you may see those movies come to HBO Max after 45 days or maybe after if they've already been licensed out to VOD or Netflix longer. Yeah, I don't know if Netflix is going to make a similar pivot with some of their films, at least some of the bigger films. If they had released The Irishman, what what would it have had made if it had a proper window? And the, and the whole argument that Netflix has had with various theater chains, especially the biggest ones, was over windows. So that's what I'm wondering. Like Glass Onion now, the, all the rules are out for it. They could do whatever they want, Netflix, and I think theaters will be happy to have it. So I don't know why I turned negative on this, but Glass Onion, A Knives Out Mystery, it, it looks like they got a huge hit on their hands at Netflix. So what are they going to do with it? If if it wins the Gross Audience Award, which many are predicting, yeah. it could be up there with The Fablemans and many other films. Like, like the Whale seems to be a big, big favorite coming out of TIFF, like we said, Women Talking. Who's going to win that award? You guys are going to know uh, before we put out our next episode over this weekend. And Glass Onion, if it does take it, that could be that could be something that pushes this into theaters, perhaps for Netflix. Do they change their calculus? I don't know. You want to hear something wild? My little Podunk theater actually had The Irishman playing before it was shut down by COVID. Hmm. Well, I mean, the mob ran right. that theater. It's true. No, that's a good point. That's a good so point by you. Right. They kind of had vested interest. <laughs> no. <laughs> a Jazz Man's Blues, <laughs> written and directed by Tyler Perry. It stars Joshua Boone, Salia Pfeiffer, and Ryan Eggold follows an investigation into an unsolved murder, unveiling a story full of forbidden love, deceit, and a secret. It's early, 67% on six reviews right now. What are the critics saying, Mike? Well, they're a bit divisive, I would say, and they have a lot of caveats even in the positive reviews that are uh, said to be fresh. From Sarah Bea Milner of Slash Film, the latest from Tyler Perry is clearly deeply personal but suffers from an overly sentimental, overly complicated story. We have Katie Reif of IndieWire saying, at its core, Jazzman's Blues is a soap opera full of shocking secrets, emotional confrontations, and one exceedingly satisfying slap. The opposite oh, no. of what happened on the Oscar stage, I would say. Jazzman's Blues has the aging fine wine feel 
of something deep, rich, tangy, and earthy. That was over Owen Gleiberman of Variety, just just keeping us guessing. You he know, was just, eating. He was eating a sandwich he enjoyed while he was writing that review. I think drinking. <laughs> he was drinking a fine wine, yeah. deep, rich, tangy, and earthy, and just gave up. Is what he did. He just gave up and just wrote down what he was tasting. What was that? I mean, I don't know what to make of these reviews, even though they're still overly positive. Two thirds, anyway, sixty-seven percent. A jazz man's blues. We were hoping Tyler Perry would break through with this one into the Oscars conversation because he broke through in terms of the honorary Oscars and, and got himself mm-hmm. an award a few years ago for all the tremendous work he's doing behind the scenes with his production companies. I mean, he's becoming a mogul in many senses of the word. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, he's one of the best in the business and seems to be one of the most charitable too as far as giving back to young filmmakers don't know that this is going to be the one that does break through to the oscars conversation we'll see maybe it does gain momentum uh we have the inspection next this is the one from writer director elegance bratton stars jeremy pope gabriel union bokeem woodbine and raul castile from a24 a 100 minute runtime this is going to be the closing film of the new york film festival the plot premise reads a young gay black man rejected by his mother and with few options for his future decides to join the marines doing whatever it takes to succeed in a system that would cast him aside it's got great early positive momentum 90 percent on 20 rotten tomato critic reviews a 73 meta score mike yeah, Bratton crafts a raw and surreal viewing experience with the in- inspection. That's Valerie Complex of Deadline Hollywood. Jeremy Pope gives a star-making turn. That's from Chris Evangelista of Slash Film. And this is a human story as messy and complex and maddening as any ever told. And while Bratton makes it his own, how could he not, the generosity with which he shares it with us makes it special indeed. That's Kate Erblan. I always rely on her from IndieWire. Mm. I was wondering when you were tweeting out about best actor race stuff i was wondering if jeremy pope was going to be the guy to crash this party i still wonder that because i know a lot of these reviews have just been blown away by his performance and we typically do see every other year at least somebody breaking in yep. in a huge way with a debut with a with a performance that may may just be too good to ignore and the inspections Jeremy Pope, he could be that that performance. Gabrielle Union could also be that performance in supporting actress. Sure. Should should uh, could she vie up against Michelle Williams playing another playing another m- mother, but uh, obviously from the different uh, side of things, she is an antagonist certainly to the pr- protagonist in this one. It seems something we always keep an eye on too on awards time is how is A twenty four going to handle their campaign because we've seen years past where they've just seem to be absent from things that they if they put some money behind it seems like they would have had some contenders or at least they contenders for nominations but uh they've been better in recent years they've we've had those early years when or the early years of mmo i should say where it seems like we were kind of wondering you know what the hell's going on why aren't they doing more so if this one does get more traction uh the inspection here gonna be something worth uh monitoring Certainly, uh, what A24 does as far as a uh, FYC campaign going into the Oscar season. Uh, we had The Woman King. Let's talk about The Lost King, Mike. Yeah, directed by Stephen Frears of The Queen and Philomena, starring Sally Hawkins, Harry Lloyd, and Steve Coogan. Mm. This is from Sony. 71% on 14 initial Rotten Tomato reviews, but they're a bit divisive, divisive, I would say, and a bit mixed, even the happy ones. 
Thank God. Flawed but compelling. Robbie <laughs> Cullen of the Daily Telegraph. Uh, Carlos Aguilar of The Rap says, What prevents this life-affirming account from turning boringly saccharine is the caliber of humanity that Hawkins lends Philippa. And Todd McCarthy from Deadline says, A modest but thoroughly captivating tale. I'm a little bummed out. I was hoping The Lost King could be that Fifi, you know, Anglophile's delight for me. It doesn't yeah. seem to be this. I'm still holding out hope. I was shocked when you took the Corsage trailer away from this episode. <laughs> well, there it is. Yeah. No, <laughs> we had to push the Corsage trailer because this one just got long in the tooth. Too much from Tiff. Uh, I'm, I'm thrilled. I got tickets for Corsage. Uh, that one does weeks. look. That trailer was very intriguing, I will say. For I can't wait to see it with Vicky Graves. Yeah. No, you, 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 uh, you're coming along. You're coming along. You're starting. <laughs> To I'm dabble. my dress. You're dabbling in the Fifi movie racket mm-hmm. that I seem to love. But, yeah, no, a, very, a big disappointment in terms – for 71%, The Lost King, uh, it was a disappointed reception for me. What was not disappointing, Michael, was Wendell and Wild. We reviewed the teasers. We have a new trailer, but Netflix has this claymation film from Henry Selick, Selick of Coraline. Coming October 21st uh, in theaters, and then a week later onto Netflix on the 28th. We have voice actors for Wendell and Wilde, including Jordan Peele and Keegan Michael Key. And then we have Angela Bassett and James Hong also in the ensemble. 100% on 10 reviews. What are they saying, Michael? Yeah, and I think I mentioned I said that Jordan Peele was a writer director on this in a previous episode. Obviously, not the case. I don't know where the hell my head was. I at, think he's but, a producer, but yeah, yeah I believe I so as well. Uh, move over the nightmare before Christmas. There's a new stop motion horror flick in town. That's Sarah B. Milner from Slash Film. Wendell and Wild is a heady trip through a spooky and suspenseful terrain dotted with big emotions and big ideas from Christy Puchko of Mashable. The highs are high, but Selick struggles to keep its narrative momentum going. Jason Bailey says that from the playlist. Uh, I didn't see much negative about this. And it, like, Nightmare Before Christmas is exactly where my mind went too. This looks like the you know the new Nightmare Before Christmas for this generation of children to teens, let's say, and young adults. I hope so, and it's it's something I want to watch as a, as an adult. I, I, yeah, after watching absolutely. the trailer, Michael, we we talked about the the cool little teasers, the trailer. They're showing some scary stuff. Like you have children eating poison apples, dead parents in coffins. My God, we have chilling images from start to finish in this trailer, which gives a movie like Wendell and Wild some edge. And yep. it doesn't seem like they're going to lack spectacle on the whole deal. You have a giant demon with the horns coming out of a cemetery to end the trailer. My God. Yeah, look, we got the creepy thing in the classroom drawer there in the teacher's desk. So yeah, a lot of a lot of spooky visuals that uh that go well in that trailer at least. And I'm excited for it just as well as you are. Uh another remake, another selection for best international feature. This is one we've previewed a couple times. All Quiet on the Western Front. This is from Netflix, co-written and directed by Edward Berger. Early hundred percent on only six reviews for Rotten Tomatoes, but people seem to like what uh what Mr. Berger is putting forth here. Yeah, one of Matt Negley's favorite films coming out of the Toronto, Toronto International Film F- Festival there, the runner of uh, Next Best Picture. But we got some, yeah, we got some rave reviews, a chilling piece of anti-war filmmaking with a star-making turn from Felix Kammerer in the lead role as of young Paul Baumer, uh, who learns the hard way that war is hell. That's from Maria E. Gates of The Playlist. And then we have Berger and his co-writers, Leslie Patterson and Ian Stokel, and his crack team of artisans should be congratulated for making the attempt and one that actually turns out to be a smart move that is p 
Pete Hammond of Deadline Hollywood. So lots of rave reviews. This trailer, Michael, from Netflix was harsh, was intense. There's a montage of war violence. Yeah. There's a strong hook where basically, much like uh, Dunkirk, we have an audience surrogate, a very young character who's very young and innocent looking at the beginning, going through the 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 crucible of it and very just dusty and through the ringer by the end of it. Yeah, it, it was a much better trailer than I expected and when I, once I saw the trailer I was not surprised to see these reviews be mostly positive. Uh I was on the record saying why the hell did they need to remake this but it seems to be a good move so I'll save my why the hell do they need to remake this for the good night mommies of the world that well, Amazon's look just it, kind I, of throwing out there. Coming out of 1930-something, you know, maybe they could give it a fresh perspective. We'll see. And, you know, Disagree. the last time they did it. Well, oh, maybe, it maybe it's good. movie making, and Dan Damien Chazelle agrees with me. <laughs> I didn't know you are such a <laughs> traditionalist. But, all right. My Policeman. My Policeman. Again, Peaks and Valleys. Not did your not, Policeman. My Policeman. <laughs> did not get a good reception. I wonder... Do I wonder if the worry coming from Venice actually permeated into some of these reviews? I don't know, but I won't put it past critics. They have been influential uh, and influenced before. Uh, This is directed by Michael Grandage, starring Harry Styles, David Dawson, Emma Corrin, Linus Roach, and Rupert Everett. Amazon Studios has a one-hour and 53-minute bust on their hands it seems Mm. my policeman gets an early 36 percent on 22 initial reviews michael so much talent for such a non-event movie from johnny olegzinski of the new york post there it's competently shot that's a great start and the score by stephen price is imbued with longing guilt and regret but the real crime of this film is how painfully average it is from luke greenfield of the london evening standard uh, you know i don't know that there's a whole lot to comment on here it doesn't look like my policeman is going to be a player in this year's oscars race does not look like it uh clayton davis did say though that he was uh, high on harry styles performance uh, in terms of the Oscar relevancy of My Policeman. So you never know. We've seen worse films perhaps mm. get Oscar noms the despite Oscar themselves. Winning Suicide Squad. <laughs> uh, Chevalier? Chevy. Chevy. Chevalier. 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 We have to speak, learn how to at least <laughs> hang tough, t- at least be able to tread water with the French diction. We it's got to be Chevalier. <laughs> I don't, I, somebody has got to help us. <laughs> somebody, Michael. <laughs> Written and directed by Stephanie Williams, starring Kelvin Harrison Jr., Lucy Boynton, Samara Weaving, and Minnie Driver. We've pre- previewed this movie here previously. Uh, the critics early on, only eight reviews, but they've amounted to an 88% on Rotten Tomatoes. Yeah, good, good, strong words from Robert Daniels at uh, RogerEbert.com saying the always dashing Harrison gives a wholly freeing performance, uplifting the lesser parts of this biopic for a visually resplendent and captivating take on a musical genius. And then we have Kate Erbland of IndieWire saying few people are as deserving of the grand scale biopic as Joseph Ballone. And even when it's hitting false notes, there's that word again, Chev Chevalier, Cavaliers, <laughs> dazzles because of the untapped magic of its central character. A biopic about the 2015 Cleveland Cavaliers. 
The movie they Bros they also debuted. At they won some games. <laughs> written and written by and starring Billy Eichner, co-written and directed by Nicholas Nicholas Stoller, produced by Judd Apatow, co-starring Luke McFarlane, Kristen Chenoweth, Deborah Messinkin, and Thompson Bowen Yang, and Amy Schumer. It's got a 92 percent on its first 26 Rotten Tomato critic reviews, as well as a 74 Metascore. High marks and high praise for Bros thus far, Mike. Yeah, Richard Lawson of Vanity Fair, he says, Bros leans into the giddy little revolution of its own existence, as we saw from those trailers, uh, quote, inviting the audience into a good gay time that hasn't exactly happened in this way before, unquote. And then we have Meg Shields from Film School Rejects saying, Bros isn't so much a disruption of the rom-com genre as a new coat of paint on a rent-controlled apartment. <laughs> so. I'm glad for the high praise for much of these reviews. I'm a little measured by some of it because it's not really reinventing the wheel. Do we want the wheel of the rom-com genre reinvented necessarily? Yes, <laughs> yes I don't we think do. We, well, one half of this podcast does. So if they, <laughs> well, I don't even know. Like, what does that mean? What does reinventing the rom-com mean? Like, what? It, it, I don't even know how that would happen. Uh, well, do you want them not to get together at the that's end? What, like, okay, so that's it. The ending is different. They go their separate ways. That's happened. Look, it. if you have a movie where there's not a chase through an airport or an apple <laughs> orchard, is that a rom-com? If he doesn't chase him by the end of the film somewhere, mm. is that a rom-com? There mm. are certain obligatory conventions, aren't there, Michael? Can't we stick to... No. <laughs> And, uh, I don't care. I hope it's a funny movie as well. And, and if they don't stick to the rom-com, or they do, God bless them. We're very happy about this project. We will be reviewing Bros. And I, uh, I'm, excited. I'm excited for it. Yeah. It's a great I trailer. Really Let's go. I mean, it's going to be fun, uh, we think. A movie that probably won't be as fun, I'm just guessing. <laughs> but will fair. it will have some great performances in it, by all accounts is Causeway. This is 824's film starring Jennifer Lawrence, David Tyree Henry. We've talked about it quite a bit. It's about a war veteran who comes home and is uh, struggling to cope, certainly. But we have uh, the director of the stage coming to the screen, written directed by uh, Leela Neugebauer. She's been highly publicized from her work on Broadway, etc., and off-Broadway. 90% here on 20 Rotten Tomatoes reviews. Causeway gets an early strong reception, Michael. Leah Greenblatt, Entertainment Weekly, saying it's nice to see actors like these do such subtle, sympathetic work for a gifted young director and to find an outlet for storytelling that doesn't demand neat redemption but still allows for grace. That's a very, very well-written review, I would say, for a, uh, a quick shot there. C.J. Prince of the film stage, Causeway serves as a reminder of Jennifer Lawrence's strengths, which rise above the lackluster material she's working with. Kind of a, a half-empty, half-full uh, there review from C.J. Prince, but I've seen a lot of love for Jennifer Lawrence. I've seen a lot of love for uh, David Tyree Henry. I, I don't know if this one's an Oscars player. Uh, I guess time will tell. The fact that it's also on A24's plate is just going to add to the intrigue of where is A24 going to prioritize their resources for the campaigns. Well, Kate Blanchett was an early frontrunner in the lead actress category. It's fun to see Viola Davis, now Jennifer Lawrence, and and others kind of you you know this episode and and the TIFF Film Festival, just basically putting more people smack down in the middle of that race. So that's cool. David Tyree Henry, hopefully in supporting actor. We've been waiting for for him to break through yeah, with the bang on the table, right? I mean, even Widows, we were like, 
this guy is just great in everything. And certainly, if Beale Street could talk, we were we were going over the moon for him. Mm-hmm. And he was good in Bullet Train, for Christ's sake. The guy's good in everything. Can we get him? Yeah, Mike, some it's momentum? Brian Tyree Henry. Brian Tyree Henry. David Tyree was my favorite <laughs> player in the history <laughs> of playoff football. And that's why I, was I did wonder- that. I was like, there's no way that's right. David Tyree Henry. I wrote it fast because I just, damn it. <laughs> and then I was wondering where you got to. And it's, you literally, you had the New York Giants on your brain. It the helmet David catch. Tyree. Yeah. We, look, if you guys don't know, we are insane New York Giants fans for both of us. For, <laughs> that for is our great, sins. That is a here, great, I was gonna cut I'm going to cut this and have on. us re-record this. No, no. Thank God we made a joke out of it because here I am. Oh, the, the yeah, yeah. Oh, everybody's David Tyree Henry. We, we, we want David always justice for David Tyree Henry. Bang the table for friend of the show, friend of our, of our hearts, <laughs> man of our podcast. Yes. We know all from his career. Mike, Mike and David Tyree Henry. We are OGs on the David Tyree Henry. Historians, one would say. Yeah. Historians of the David Tyree Henry Oscar campaign. I am an ass. You're like, we're going to bang the table. I'm like, there's there's something about this that doesn't sound right. Brian Tyree Henry. Brian Tyree Henry. Well, I hope he gets nominated, too, with his brother. (laughs) The Menu, Michael, directed <laughs> by Mark Mylod, starring Anya Taylor-Joy, Nicholas Holt, Ralph, Ray, Ray or Ralph Fiennes. Oh, somebody will figure that out at some point. Searchlight, hour and 46 minutes. We were a little worried that this movie wouldn't be great. I'm, I'm more worried now after this 72 meta score, even though 83% on 12 reviews. But there's a lot of caveats in some of these reviews, Michael. Nominated for Best Picture. It's it's giving me everything I wanted from it so far. <laughs> a vengeful dark comedy that probes percolating class anxieties from Lovia Yarki. Rafe finds, and you said, I don't know if it's Ray or Ralph. I've always said Rafe and just kind of split the baby there. So that's what I'm going to stick with. Rafe Fine serves off a delightfully wicked feast from Chris Evangelista. Alas, even with promising ingredients that have been assembled in this tepid thriller is one that grows increasingly tiresome with each chorus. Chase Hutchinson from Collider. Like a 72 Metascore for a movie like this, I think is still very respectful. Yeah, I just wish they didn't have all the caveats and all these reviews. Yeah. I did not serve up. Those reviews until Chase Hutchinson there of Collider, but mm. that's it's a we'll see we'll see what the menu has in store. We'll be reviewing it later this September in one way, shape, or form. A lot of good movies, a lot of intriguing films. I say uh, are coming out this September. This weekend's going to be a big one. Uh, we'll talk about films that are coming to stream in September as well. Weird, the Al Yankovic story. Co-written and directed by Eric Appel of Silicon Valley. He co-wrote the film with Weird Al Yankovic himself. Daniel Radcliffe stars in the titular role. Opposite, of course, Evan Rachel Wood as Madonna. Quinta Brunson as Oprah Winfrey. And Rain Wilson, of course, uh, the ever-present in all musical biopics. Mm-hmm. Dr. Demento. Yes. 95% on 19 Rotten Tomato reviews. I just I get so much fun out of all these just everything I read on Rotten Tomatoes. Valerie Complex says cameos, so many cameos. That might her be the greatest quote. review of all time. <laughs> That's her pull quote coming from Deadline Hollywood. Not every joke lands, but the ones that do are really funny from Chris Bumray. And a polka party of absurdity. Chris Evangelista getting another shout out from us from Slash Film because the man knows how to coin and, mm. and pull a quote, I would say, for his reviews. I would agree with that. Just nominate it for an Oscar, you cowards. <laughs> do the right thing. If it's this good, right? If everyone's this positive on it, 
Just mm-hmm. nominate it, you spineless, spineless. Show the, <laughs> you know, show the world that you're capable of not taking yourself so goddamn seriously all the time, Academy. A polka party of absurdity. <laughs> I'm ready. I can't wait. I hope this next musical biopic is half as good as Weird, the Al Yankovic story. I don't know if I'm all that encouraged with this trailer for I Want to Dance with Somebody, Michael. Man, the fear, films we're feared of and worried about, I think I, I, I don't know if I put this as one of my official picks or maybe I did. I can't remember. But I was my biggest worry with this was that it could easily verge into like lifetime movie type tropeness. And uh, there are highs in this trailer directed by Cassie Lemons, Lemons, who did Harriet and Eve's Bayou, written by Anthony McCartan of uh, Bohemian Rhapsody and Darkest Hour. It stars Naomi Ackie, who plays the Whitney Houston role, Tamara Tooney, Clark Peters, Stanley Tucci, Ashton Saunders of Moonlight as Bobby Brown. Sony Pictures is the studio behind this. It drops uh, in the Christmas season, 12-21-22. So... Hmm. Man, they got a lot of the costumes and the hairstyle right, and there's there are some cinematic bits in the way things are shot. The Super Bowl look of those play, jets flying overhead, leaving the red, white, and blue trail, which is one of the highlights of Whitney Houston's career, obviously, singing the Star Spangled Banner for Super Bowl twenty five, the Giants and the Bills. Scott Norwood, how you doing? They got that stuff. It looked great, but it, it to me looked like she was lip syncing. I think she was lip syncing. You're saying that it's 100% confirmed that she was lip syncing. I don't think it was hidden that well that she was lip syncing, which is going to dock you points compared to the Elvises and the Bohemian Rhapsodies. I mean, if you're going to be taken seriously in a musical biopic on the Oscars level, that's kind of the standard that you're going to be held to at this point, no? I'm a little bummed out by the trailer. I'm bummed out because like things that I've said in the past about Naomi Aki not looking exactly like Whitney Houston you know why should that matter necessarily if she's a great actress which you know we know she is from from uh, Steve McQueen projects in the past like small acts I I know she can she can hang with this with this subject matter but the lip syncing seemed a little off right I mean mm-hmm. am I crazy and then no, you have the same. every typical beat of a musical biopic genre that is very tired and well parodied at the moment. Like we just said with the weird there. It's rough to have this come off on the back of weird doing what it's doing. It really is. So when past films that have tried to tackle the genre, they either go full ham and giant gaudy masterpiece levels like Elvis, or they try something new like rocket man, or they at least twist it up like bow rap by the end of the film. And they give us a whole concert, which was, pretty innovative we, mm-hmm. we thought uh, at the time this seems like you know paint by numbers at the uh, and and the face that stanley tucci makes the smuggest oh i found my next star face it just represents this whole trailer to me and i i'm very skeptical that i want to dance with somebody is going to try and innovate at the end of the day because it's coming out christmas because it's sony and they haven't been quite as let's just say venturous of late i think they've been navigating the waters of the streaming landscape very conservatively and they've been trying to almost like mgm of recent years they've been trying to dedicate you know invest investments into surefire properties i'm not saying i want to dance with somebody is at risk i mean this movie should make money but we're, we're watching a uh, a story that we've seen in two recent documentaries from high-profile outlets, right? I mean, HBO had one, and then what was the other one? I thought I thought it was Showtime. Anyway, I don't remember now, Michael, but 
we've seen two recent Whitney Houston documentaries yeah. of late, and now, yeah, I mean, let's see the real thing. And uh, everybody knows the Whitney Houston story, right? I mean, at least parts yeah. of it and pieces. Like, was any of the true conflict in her life touched on in this trailer? Like, are we? I look, Naomi Aki is dressed as Whitney Houston in the. Uh, it's not right, but it's okay. Music video. I think that song came out in like 2003, off the top of my head. Right. By that point, it was very well established the rocky relationship between Bobby Brown and Whitney. Houston. I mean, if you're going to show that part of her life, like how do you get there without showing some of the warts that she had to live through and overcome? And like, is this just going to be a puff piece? Like, look how great she was on the singing the national anthem. Is that going to be the climax of this movie? The uh, the producers have said that it's going to be a very honest portrayal of the story so i'm guessing no i'm guessing they're going to go peaks and valleys i just i'm not encouraged by the kind of the familiar notes of the trailer that we're going to get i share your concerns there that we're going to get anything new here so that's that's bum that bums me out a little bit because i was hoping i was hoping for something awesome and yeah. and unfortunately case casey lemons she's you know with harriet she was maybe that's where we're a little shy to praise this in another way because we thought harriet was going to contend for every single oscar well once we saw the stills and and we pre- we were predicting <laughs> in our hundred percent accurate mm-hmm. yep. <laughs> predictions we were clayton davis harriet, too. harriet yeah you, uh, i remember that movie being all over his early uh his early oscar predictions there um, yeah, all right, remains to be seen. Babylon, we finally got our first look at that from Paramount, written and directed by, I don't know, some guy. I think he's got a future in this business. <laughs> Damien Chazelle, Margot Robbie, Brad Pitt, Diego Calva, Gene Smart, Catherine Wessis, and Samara Weaving, Eric Roberts, blah, 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 blah. Look, if you have a SAG card, you're either in Babylon, if you're a white person, you're in Oppenheimer. We know this, we've talked about this. <laughs> Set in Hollywood during the transition from silent films to talkies, focusing on a mixture of historical and fictional characters. Could you have a more bland and nothing plot premise given to IMDb there? So this, this trailer, trailer was anything but that. This right? trailer was everything. <laughs> it was everything. <laughs> like, it's so funny to me. We loved First Man. Mm-hmm. And that was Giselle's last movie. And it was so strained and it was so much minimalism, right? We we were, we wanted Ryan Gosling to be nominated, because, but it was such a reserved and pulled back performance. We understood why it didn't resonate with some people, even though we th- still think it was overlooked. The the vast emptiness and isolation of space and the moon out there and the etc. And then you have this trailer, which is the very, very opposite. <laughs> <laughs> They're snorting drugs over the... <laughs> Over the Paramount logo, right? And the, the stars <laughs> being removed during the snort. This is a drug-fueled party, excess insanity, like I said, Hunter S. Thompson fever dream mixed with, you know, dance montages from the great Gadsby and, you know, wacky anecdotal Ugh. excerpts, you know, from Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, all with this huge blaring trumpet music that's, for me, the standout of the trailer, yeah. coming from Mr. Adepo's, uh, I'm guessing he's lip-syncing, but maybe he's a trumpet player, I don't know. We have quite the <laughs> loaded trailer here, my God. This is the busiest casino I've ever stepped foot in on the busiest night of, like, fight night there. While drunk. (laughs) That's what this trailer reminded me. It's just blurry lights and flashes and music and fast cars and noise and dialogue and cuts. There were so many cuts in this trailer. Have we ever had a trailer show more different scenes in history than what this trailer gave us in 140 seconds? 
Mike, I wonder if that's what this movie's going to be. If it's the busiest trailer ever, maybe it's a, one of the busier movies in a while. I, it could very well be. It would not surprise me if that's, I mean, the, the, the cast budget for this alone. How many extras are in the scenes of these trailers? My God. And there's separate scenes featuring a live snake, an elephant, and Tobey Maguire staring down a gator. There's so much going on in this trailer, Mike. It took me until my third watch through until I noticed there's just a whole titty. There's just a naked ass woman with a whole bare titty out. And I didn't see that until my third watch through this trailer. Yeah, I think... uh... I think I noticed it immediately, but I just, you know. I, I did not. I swear. To, I, I was like, I, I remember at my second watch, I was like, wait, was that a titty? <laughs> did I just it, see full ass free the nipple in this trailer? And sure enough. Also, I think Brad Pitt is just playing me in college. I uh, can confirm that <laughs> this much because I used to visit you clowns, but uh-huh. you in college would have noticed the nudity much earlier. That's I will true. Say this. That is true. You did not. Uh, you would just point out boops. <laughs> Peter, Peter Griffin voice that you've always had. You just said, hey, uh-huh. that's a boop. Uh, I did not expect this trailer. I did not expect this to be what many people in the industry, including recent guests like Eric Eric Weber of Awards Ace, you know, to be the trailer for the expected best picture front runner or one of those films that are going to be in the mix. I know Damien Chazelle has been touted by many as this, you know, as being the best director front runner for, for certain, but these types of crazy ass films, they typically shoot up MMO lists, but they don't typically win the Oscars. They could be nominated, but do they typically win? I mean, we've seen an upteenth number of, Tarantino and Scorsese films from the past just be bridesmaids well, and maybe not that, brides. It, what if it's the greatest trick the devil ever played and that devil is Damien Chazelle? He's like, I'll give you your whiplashes. I'll give you your La La Lands. I'll give you your first man. Let me get in with the good old hobnobby, snobbish wing of Hollywood in the Academy here. Are we good? Okay, here's what I'm going to do next. Every drug, every naked woman, every sound and light, and I'm going to be equally applauded for it because... I've already fooled you into thinking I'm one of you. Oh, there are penis balloons in this trailer too, by the way. So <laughs> they're accommodating everybody to an extent, perhaps. I don't know. I think I was very surprised that this was the angle of Babylon, pleasantly surprised. But... No. Yeah, I just you know I've been burned here before. Like yes. if they make a crazy ass hangout movie and it's really edgy and and nuts, and we love it you're going to want it for best picture and our mm-hmm. hearts are going to be broken. Like just be ready. Like the Wolf of Wall Street, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, yes. those are two recent examples, but it goes all the way back to Goodfellas. Like we, it goes much further back than that, I'm sure, but at least in our lifetimes, right? Yeah. No, you're absolutely right. I'm ready to be hurt again. When I'm six years old and you're four years old mm-hmm. and Goodfellas loses, we remember that day. We were <laughs> in diapers and t- tuxedo t-shirts and mm-hmm. you remember when you well you were still wearing a diaper but that was i was dancing because you, like brad pitt was yeah you had issues anyway i still wear a diaper <laughs> it's more for what comfort. are we talking about it's getting to the end of the episode folks <laughs> we better finish it with some industry news but those are two huge trailers for this race we think we hope and uh some some a lot of first receptions in this episode. Let's just say not all of them good. And some of them I don't know what to make of. The Babylon trailer, I don't know what to make of it right now in terms of Oscars handicapping. I don't. I just know I want to be there. 
that's all i know about it uh yeah time will tell but uh, we're getting a little more clarity in the oscars picture we have a lot of clarity on how the emmys did as far as their ratings and it was not good the worst ratings of all time they fell 25 percent from last year's show it's not only an all-time low for viewership but as rick porter of the hollywood reporter explained it's the third all-time low for the emmys in the last four years yeah Outpaced by Monday Night Football's viewing audience, which they went head-to-head against by a margin of about 20 million to 6 million, even though the Emmys dipped under 6 million officially for the first time ever. Uh, Don't go head-to-head with the NFL award shows, I'll say. This does not bode well for what the Golden Globes are trying to do with uh, Tuesday or Wednesday. When the hell are they doing it? They're trying to go weekdays now. I mean, look, in terms of a weekday audience i'm sure it's fine for you know nbc they're not bummed that it, i mean i mean i'm sure they're bummed by the overall they probably expected more but i mean that's got to be good for them on on a regular monday but it's it's bad news concerning you know the long-term viability of of big money award shows right i mean it's they, they've had to have expected more there is a backwards uh logic to this too that goes back to scott feinberg saying why are uh cable networks or uh, broadcast networks so eager to televise their own funeral and showing the Emmys. And it's like, if you are an old person who only watches standard TV and you stay up watching late night shows, you watch your Seth Meyers, your Jimmy Fallon's, you watch NBC, and then you're up watching the Emmys and none of the shows that you watch on CBS, NBC, Fox, or ABC are represented other than Abbott Elementary. Like, yeah, why would you stay tuned in for that? It's not a great turn of events. I was hoping that you know, we would get kind of an uptick or at least a modest one because, you know, we had the the MTV Awards mm-hmm. barely get better reviews. So, and they needed. That was I mean, that, that was a weird review too because they were like, "Oh, we did so much better." Here's the total viewership from MTV, VH1, the internet, YouTube. This cha- it was like, what? You're combining everything? Well, but that's you know what you're looking for now. That's the new landscape, and that's Netflix I, numbers to me, man. Yeah, seventy-two right <laughs> billion milliseconds. Parsecs. If all our viewers were ants, <laughs> and they each built their own colony, it's it's bad news. It's bad news for the awards industry, and they really got to go. They really got to go in another direction if they want to get more eyes on on the on the pro- property. It's not yeah. it's not working. I, yeah. Mr. Feinberg's right. You are right. They got to fix it. And, and I'm hopefully only this, right because I'm echoing Mr. Feinberg, but go ahead. Uh, but look, it, hopefully it puts to rest a lot of the excuses and the excuse mongering of, well, this is this was the wrong type of show and they, they rushed the speeches and this and that. It's not. It's not. Everybody's yeah. going to be saying their you know, obituary of they didn't do my favorite things and therefore this is why. I disagree with that. I think this is very clearly a time slot thing. This is very clearly a who's watching when thing. And you, you, if you want the big audience, you got to give it the big. I don't even you know. know the big show. Like, do you give broadcast channels their their own categories and a show that already has way too many categories? The Emmys have way too, like Warner Warner Brothers winning whatever twenty five awards is being able to say they won twenty five Emmys this year is insane to me. That's insane. Yeah. I, I don't know. I think uh, I think they got to make a move, and it's got to be a drastic one. They got to get – they got to make it available to as many people as possible. Why don't they just come together and put it on something and put it on everything? 
and everybody shares from it. But I, I guess I, you know, the exclusivity of the rights, they can, they know they can make X amount of money. And, but if they want to grow the property, if they want to grow the brand, they got work to do and keeping it niche is not going to help the brand. I mean, the Emmys and the Oscars, they're going to have to make a decision at some point. You either work together with a lot more platforms or this is going to continue to get smaller and more niche, Mm -hmm. unfortunately. Uh, Well, something that was not small nor niche, uh, D23, we'll wrap up here by doing a quick recap of what went down on the D23 stage last weekend. Yeah, let's go rapid fire. We're going to cover a bunch of casting news and and list a bunch of things, but uh, we had right off the top Shira Haas of uh, Unorthodox and Tim Blake Nelson of The Ballad of Buster Scruggs. They were casted in Captain America New World Order to start off our casting news here, Michael. Yeah, Tim Blake Nelson will play the leader who is uh, a comic book baddie more associated with the Hulk and Thunderbolts, but he's going to be in this Captain America movie. It's a reprisal of a storyline left off in 2008's The Incredible Hulk, where Tim Blake Nelson was a scientist left down on the ground. He was bleeding. Hulk's goop was getting into his brain, and we saw his brain and head kind of pulsate. This will be out May 3rd of 2024. Oh, I'm glad that. I, I remember waiting for that yeah. uh, Easter egg to uh, happen, something to happen Kevin with Feige it, okay. is nothing if not consistent. Well, Thunderbolts kind of confirmed. Uh, we can't. We figured that this would be the casting, but Florence Pugh, David Harbour, Wyatt Russell, Olga Kurylenko, Hannah John Kamen, Julia Louis-Dreyfus, and Sebastian Stan. Most of those names make sense for this little Suicide Squad-styled mashup for the Thunderbolts, and uh, Florence Pugh going to headline it. Yeah, I mean, she couldn't be on the D23 stage in person, you know, because she was busy filming Dune 2, presumably. She's very Uh, busy. She's got to be back on set for Dune 2. I don't understand what people don't get about that. She needs to be there for Dune 2. Chalamet, go gallivant. Florence Pugh, (laughs) Dune 2. But she did send in, I'm I'm joking, of course. She did send in a video joking with David Harbour, who was there live on stage. A group of supervillains are recruited to go on missions for the government is the official synopsis right now on IMDb. So like you said, Mike, this is Marvel's more lighthearted suicide squad, complete with Julia Louis-Dreyfus. Her Contessa de Fontaine being the more jokey government conduit in place of Viola Davis's super serious Amanda Waller. This one's coming out July 26th of 2024. I'm I'm in for Thunderbolts. Can't yeah. wait. Uh, Elemental, the Pixar film, casts Mamadou Athi of Jurassic World Dominion and Leia Lewis of the half of it. Uh, one of my favorite films of a couple years ago. They're going to voice main characters. Elemental also got a release date in June of six seventeen. We have Gahui Kwan. He's capitalizing yeah. uh, from everything, everywhere, all at once. He is going to be in the cast of next season's Loki. So I'm thrilled. Awesome that he is continuing his acting career after a long absence there. And then we have Shakira Barrera joining Ironheart, which is going to be a very cool Iron Man-styled series coming to Disney+. Plus. Uh, we also got some new footage uh, debuted for Black Panther Wakanda Forever, Ant-Man Quantumania, and Avatar The Way of Water, which was basically just telling everybody Avatar The Way of Water is winning the Oscar for Best Visual Effects. <laughs> no doubt about it. It's happening. It's done. If you're betting on anything, take whatever odds. Bet your house. It's happening. It's done. Um, David Long, you heard me. I like that Jordan Peele is still like fighting the good fight, though. He's like, oh, yeah, me and Hoyt Van Hoytema, we shot all the night, uh, night shots in Nope at day. Like, he just happened to leak that out the same weekend that Avatar had their uh, moment on D23. He, he's, he knows what he's doing. Um, wh- when does Marvel 
break the glass and bring back uh, Robert Downey Jr. It's going to happen at some point, right? After Senior fails to get nominated for Documentary Feature and <laughs> it's everybody's favorite movie of the year, I don't know. I think I think I'm I'm hoping that he goes another direction. I do. T- I am too. That- but I I feel like there's you know, mm-hmm. it's just I feel like it's something that's going to happen inevitably. I feel it in my well, bones. He's not going to be talking to animals in films anytime soon, so, so you never don't know. Don't say that. I'm waiting. You know, some of us like Doolittle. <laughs> I don't know who. I'm not one of them. I didn't watch it. Mike, we got new trailers for Indiana Jones 5, Willow, the Disney Plus series, Hocus Pocus 2, Disenchanted, The Little Mermaid, Strange World, Secret Invasion, Werewolf by Night, Andor, The Mandalorian, and The Santa Clauses. I think we're going to be reviewing some trailers coming from Disney in the coming weeks and months. We weren't at D23, but we uh, we love to review us a trailer or two. I think my favorite was the Secret Invasion trailer, Samuel Jackson. Yeah, that one looked badass. That one could that be That looks like a series I might actually watch on Disney+. Plus. Well, they're doing more adult-skewing, you know, performance-driven series, and Andor is one coming from the Star Wars universe, and Secret Invasion, for me, is that big one coming from the Marvel universe, so I cannot wait to, to watch those two. Can you believe they made a Black Mermaid, Mike? I hate I, I just I hate everyone. The, the internet is really so just a horrible... Just a cesspool. It's really bad. It's really bad. And I Not loved your tweet gonna, about yeah. that. Um, Stupid idiots. Well, who, uh, I just I no. You're right. You're right to be frustrated. Like it's it's an insane fucking stance. Insane. But you 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 hit it on the head. If that's what you're talking about, if that's uh, how you feel about, if you care that deeply about the color of a mermaid's skin, you're probably a racist. <laughs> you may be shocked to learn you're you're probably a racist. Yeah, you're shocked to learn. Uh, things uh a lot because oh i think uh i think i think it's the end of the episode and i'm growing <laughs> fatigued by some things but look i mean we got newly announced uh or confirmed projects peter pan and wendy is going to be a disney plus movie mufasa the lion king is going to be a fun prequel feature film coming from disney inside out 2 uh, will launch in September or summer of 2024. We're going to have Armor Wars, which is confirmed now. We are hoping Don Cheeto will get his War Machine series on Disney+. Plus. That is confirmed, as is Daredevil Born Again, uh, which is going to star Charlie Cox and Vincent Donofrio. Did I say that right? You nailed it. <laughs> Donofrio? I, I have never been able to pronounce his... Donofrio. Donofrio. Yeah. I thought the you were making a joke. Is, the apostrophe is an N. No, I'm sincerely. No, it's D'Onofrio. D'Onofrio. Vincent D'Onofrio. Why? But why? <laughs> the apostrophe is an N. Yeah. No, it's D'Na. It's the o, the O is an E. Is what it is. D'Onofrio. If you say so. <laughs> Elio, which is an upcoming Pixar film about an 11-year-old dreamer named Elio, played by Jonas Kibarib, will also feature America Ferreira. Uh, Adrian Molina is director. Mary Alice Drum is the producer. Elio is artistic, creative, and an avid indoorsman who finds it hard to fit in. Meanwhile, Mom Olga, who runs a top-secret military project, is working to decode a strange signal from outer space, but it's Elio who makes contact, gets beamed into space, and is subsequently mistaken for an intergalactic ambassador for Earth. That's coming out in spring of 2024, and a Wish was also announced an upcoming Disney Animation Studios film, Fall 2023, directed by Chris Buck and Fawn Vera Sunthorn. 
set in Rosas, the kingdom of wishes, where wishes can literally come true. It centers on 17-year-old Asha, played by Ariana DeBose, or voiced, I should say, by Ariana DeBose, makes an impassioned plea to the stars, which is answered by Cosmic Force, a little ball of boundless energy called Star. Together, they face the most formidable of foes, save her community, and prove that when the will of one courageous human connects with the magic of the stars, wondrous things can happen. And of course, uh, these were appetizers for the announcements of the cast of X-Men. Every single (laughs) mutant, every single cast member, we now know who they are. Uh, The Fantastic Four. (laughs) Can you get over who they picked for the Fantastic Four, Michael? My goodness. Henry Kissinger. I didn't see it I loved it. I I cannot wait. I will buy a ticket for that movie now. Let's get all the Barbie and Oppenheimer memes updated with X-Men. X-Men, the second class of citizens of Fox Disney. What what, what was the title again? I forgot it, but... Wolverine being played by a jar of Skippy Crunchy Peanut Butter. (laughs) Really going outside the box. Feige might be a little drunk with powder. (laughs) They did not do this. Somebody said to me, I believe it was you, it had something to do with licensing and characters. Well, that's the rumor. I mean... the rumor is they can't make any official X-Men announcements until like 2024 or 2025 because of the contracts that the original X-Men actors signed with Fox. So hmm. is there legitimacy to that? I don't know. Even if it is real, does Disney have the fucking financial backing to be able to go to Hugh Jackman and say, here's a load of money. Do you mind opting out of that clause? You know, they can so do Jody Comer to. is just twirling her last dual wig hair mm-hmm. and waiting more or less, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> More or less. Um, and Denzel Washington is probably... I, I feel bad for that guy who tweeted all that. He's been taking shit nonstop. <laughs> really Not do good. Don't get, don't give people shit yeah. for, for things that they yeah. hear. But, hey, I, I also can, can understand the stances of uh, THR's Richard Newby and, and guys who are like, hey, enough with the rumor mongering. It's just leaving pe- people just so disappointed. And what are we doing? If you're going to give someone shit, give someone shit who cares about a black mermaid. That's the person you should give shit to. Agreed. Yeah. And that's the the words of wisdom for this episode. Words of wisdom right there. <laughs> Guys. Uh, as always, what matters most to us are your takes and your thoughts about anything that went down uh, at TIFF on the D23 stage or elsewhere. Are you excited for any of these movies? Have any of the critic or initial critic reviews made you want to see something more or less than originally anticipated? Let us know all that as well as, as always, any other comments, questions, or concerns you have about anything we do here in the MMO Empire. You can leave us those on our social medias. We are Mike, Mike, and Oscar on Facebook and Instagram at MM and Oscar on Twitter, Mike, Mike, and Oscar at gmail.com.com and on Reddit. We are available wherever you do here podcast if you're listening to us on either the apple podcast app because we're back on there baby or the spotify app if you would be so kind if you appreciate what we do to leave us a five-star review those truly help us out a great deal thank you to everyone who has done so thus far michael uh we had those words of wisdom you can add more if you'd like let's have uh some words of wisdom and tell good people what's coming next well it's wise to continue with the oscar race checkpoints i wonder if it's wise to count up how many oscar race checkpoints in a row we've done in the past do, do you know <sighs> this stat i mean i'm sure it's up there but we got two in a I, well, row i mean this isn't even the bat like when it comes time when it's february is when they right. go every episode you know so this is they have crazy to. yeah but look we could break for a movie review for certain we don't know if we will we'll have to see some movies this weekend and uh converge but we'll, we're going to review the woman king in some way shape or form we're going to review 
Uh, a lot of these movies that are hitting theaters this weekend, Moonage Daydream, See How They Run, The Silent Twins, Pearl. I want to see them all. I'm, I'm really excited to see them all, but, uh, you know, we got lives, so it's kind of tough <laughs> to, to see five movies in a weekend these days unless we're at a festival, which we will go to and enjoy. Uh, certainly, I will, uh, you know, talk to other friends of the show about movies that uh, we're able to see in, in upcoming episodes. I'm really excited about that one with David Long. He's going to London when I'm going to New York, so we'll compare notes at the end of that with hopefully a Oscar betting episode yes. in October there, Michael. I don't know if you're going to make an appearance at PJ Clark's. Maybe you just show up at PJ Clark's. I'll be surprised. I'm going to leave not. my house now and start walking by the time the New York Film Festival's here or by the pay the gate that you think I walk at, I should get there in time. Perfect. I, please do. Please do. Bring your laptop as you walk, though, because you got to edit this episode. Fair. Fair point. <laughs> as always, when reality sucks, you can come analyze what happened on the TIFF stage with us. We are Mike, Mike, and Oscar trying to make award season year-round. Without the stuffiness, we will see you all very soon. See ya. See ya.